It is great to gather this morning. My name's Adam. If I haven't met you, I would love that opportunity. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at our church. And uh, today we are studying and continuing in our study in the book of Daniel. It's in the middle of the Bible. It's a really famous book in many ways. And today is kind of the key story that most people associate with the character Daniel and his life. And we get to learn from this fascinating story, we get to learn some principles that we can carry with us no matter what age we are in, no matter what kind of workplace we're in, no matter our, our status of, uh, of being, I don't know, married or single, kids, no kids, whatever it is, whatever your life looks like, we can draw great encouragement and challenge from Daniel's life today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 6. And as you're turning there, my, my question for you as we start here is, what have you given up to be completely obedient to God? What have you given up to be completely obedient to God? As we work through this story, each of us can ask this, even personalize it, what have I given up to be obedient to God? We're going to read this story from Daniel and find ourselves challenged. So, Daniel 6, it starts off like this. It pleased Darius. He's the king. He's the new king. If you remember last week, there was a change in command. New kingdom took over. So here we have Darius. He's the new king, new kingdom. He, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give a Account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials in the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps, they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, listen to this, because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5 says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so let me just pause right here as we are reading this story. This sounds very familiar to other stories already in Daniel. This is the sixth chapter to the sixth major story that we see. And so far, consistently, if you've been working with us, through us, uh, with us, you'll find that there are the other advisors and members of the council of the king and the royal court who get jealous of Daniel quite easily. Like, this guy's squeaky clean, and they just can't stand it. And so here they are trying to find a new way to come against him. So they come up with this plan. This was, this was what the, the genius in the room came up with when they were thinking through, how do we get him? Verse 6, then these high officials and the satraps, they came by agreement to the king, and they said, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes an Whoever makes petition to any god or man for, I could see them being like, for, um, you know, 30 days, right? 30 days, except to you, O king. Well, that person, they shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Friends, right out of the gate, we realize that for a leader, it is so important for you to have wise counsel around you and not a bunch of scumbags. Here they have uh, this, this whole crew of people here. They're just jealous, and they're trying to sabotage, sabotage Daniel's promotion, and they want to, you know, throw whoever might pray to somebody other than the king to the den of lions. If you remember Nebuchadnezzar, previous king, previous kingdom, he liked, you know, his preference of uh, death was a fiery furnace. In this case, the king has this lion's den. It's a, it's a uh, great time to be alive back then. So verse 10, it continues. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Now, let me just pause right there. there. This is one of those passages where somebody prays toward Jerusalem. That is not some sort of thing where like, we do. That is maybe common in other religions in which they face a certain direction. In our case, that's not like a mandate. That's just what Daniel did, you know, just so you know. Remember, he was in exile. He was taken out of Jerusalem. And it's, it was probably, for. I mean, if I were in his shoes, it would be a reminder of who my God is in the midst of all that's happening. Let me face in the direction of uh, where I was taken and that kind of stuff. So I, I can see where he's coming from, but that's not like a religious practice within Christianity if you are new to what we believe. It continues as, as he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. All right, his great criminal offense was he prayed. So let me pause here to talk through this a little bit. This is one of these moments where Daniel's example to us thousands of years later still matters. First of all, this guy prays in a scheduled way three times a day. For most of us, we might not even pray one time a day, much less scheduled. It's the prayer while you're driving and there's about to be an accident and you'll pray like in that moment. Not, let me wake up and then around lunchtime, let me have some time set aside at dinner time, let me, or in the evening, let me intentionally pray to God. Not just for things, but to adore his name and, and who he is. Uh, to, to make great pleas for and intercession for the needs in your life or in your family, uh, for this church, for situations. Again, not just half-heartedly praying. So that alone stands out to us. And, you know, a, a preacher who's working just with that verse alone, and, a, and a, a student in seminary could preach a whole sermon on just that section. But for us, these words and this whole scenario reminds us of something that Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was arrested and then crucified. If you recall in John 15 and 16, he's spending time with his disciples. He'd wash their feet, and then they go into the, kind of among like a garden, and they're like talking, they're looking at things. He's sharing things about like uh, being, um, uh, he mentions the phrasing about like the vine and the branches and all that. Well, just a little bit after that passage, in John 15 and 16, listen to some of these verses. Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. A little later, he says, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. That's John 15, 18 to 20. Well, if you keep reading, he begins to say this, recorded in John 16, verse 1. He says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. 
This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when it happens, you will remember my warning. You know, for the disciples in this moment and for us today and everyone in between, persecution is a natural characteristic of being a Christ follower. It comes with the territory. It's not something that should take us by surprise or something that is unexpected or even leading us into despair or woe is me. In those moments, you join the ranks of everyone going from Jesus till now and even before him in light of those who are God-fearing people who suffered for his name, for Yahweh's name in the Old Testament. As we think about persecution, we're reminded that every generation has faced it and we are no different. It takes different forms depending on what part of history you're alive in and what country and its laws you are living within. But every faithful follower of Christ has faced persecution and they will continue to face it. Several of you got to go on mission trips this summer and you spent time with missionaries who have faced persecution in ways that you have not seen and so you're able to swap stories and what that might look like. Everyone faces it, including us. And Jesus reminds us to stay strong when it hits, to not be surprised when it happens. So if you face persecution this week, or to whatever degree you do, I want to remind you to stay strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do not give in to the pressure and cling to Jesus' words. If you need to, go back and reread John 15 and John 16, particularly 16, 1 through 4, where Jesus says some of those words. So let's get back to the story here. Daniel says this, Then they came near, and they said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, well, that person, they shall be cast into the den of lions. Right? The king, he doesn't know what's going on, clearly. So he's, the king answers and says, The thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked... And then they answered and they said before the king, uh, well, there's Daniel, right? Daniel, who is the one, who is one of the exiles from Judah. He pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day, right? Immediately in that moment, the king's realizing what's going on. Verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. He set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. I love it. I always read this as a kid thinking, uh, well, if, if the injunction is that you can't change it, why don't you just make a new injunction that you can change it because you're the king? You know, like, what, whatever, though. But he's, you know, working within the parameters of, of the day. And in this moment, even right here, it gives us a quick little example for us on a day-in-day basis in our, in our work lives, in our, in our school, whatever it may be. It challenges us to be the kind of people that even if we are working under a, uh, a non-Christian supervisor, maybe somebody's um, discouraging or harsh or whatever it looks like, let's try to be the kinds of people that if, if their upper management wants to do something, that our direct supervisor finds themselves really distressed, like they're looking out for us. Like they might not even believe in Jesus. They might not be a part of stuff. They might not get it, but they know that you love the Lord and that your example and that God working within you is important. And there's that sort of, uh, uh, they're going to bat for you in a way that you might not commonly see. So here the king, he's trying to find his way. It doesn't work out. So verse 15, it continues. Let's read this part. 
Then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. I just, I love that. Like, he, the king was even aware that that was a possibility. I, I think that that shows Daniel's influence and example here for the, for the king to even think that. So it continues, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. It's kind of a second portion of what I was saying earlier about like a, a mini sermon on prayer. You would even include this whole section. Here you have a man who doesn't even know Yahweh God. He is praying to him, and, or, or praying to maybe his own gods. I don't really know, but the guy is distressed. Here he is. So this is, this is kind of the key moment. Daniel is thrown into the den. Let's remind ourselves these lions were ferocious beasts. I know that the portrayal of them tends to look like really nice, really royal, but they're probably pretty mangy, pretty nasty. They're thrown in this den. They eat whatever gets tossed to them, including people. And so here is this situation. In a moment like this, I, love, I have this tendency of I like to look up what do artistic portrayals uh, uh, creatively draw for this sort of scenario. And there's a handful that I have for you that I discovered in, in reading on this. Look at these pictures. So the first one we have here, this is probably one of the more um, uh, somewhat accurate ones in that Daniel is older. We know that from the timeline of all this, he's probably in his 80s. And so here he is, you know, older and the lions are all around him. They're looking all nice and stuff, but uh, there you go. So there's, there's, there's another one. This is one he's just lounging with the lions. Uh, you got one that's yawning. I mean, they're having a, having a very relaxed time in the den. Who knows? Maybe that is what it looked like. What's this third one here? This one, all right, this is uh, from like uh, the 17th century, right? So it kind of has that classic dynamic as well uh, from Reuben, I believe. And so that's his, that's his take. Here's one from my son's Bible. <laughs> I literally opened it and took that picture this morning. And uh, um, yeah, so that's when he thinks the line's done. He's like, yeah, it looks like a good time. Yeah, yeah, okay. The king's happy. All right, and then what's this last one here? All right, this is from uh, probably my favorite translation of the Bible. It's a graphic novel. When people ask me what, what Bible do I like, and I'll say the Action Bible, they're, they're thinking you know, maybe a modern version of the King James. And it's like, no, it's actually cartoons. And it's fascinating. I took that picture this morning as well, the Action Bible. Those lines probably are, are most accurate, which we'll read in a moment a little more what's happening. But they are clearly hungry. They are, they are beasts that are designed with one purpose in mind, and that is to shred whatever gets tossed into the den. So we have this in mind. Well, for Daniel, he's older. He's thrown in this den we don't know where his other friends are, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at this time. Possibly they're alive, considering that just a moment ago, if you remember the phrasing from the council and stuff, they were saying, you know, he is one of the exiles from Judah. So clearly there was this awareness that there were other exiles from Judah. Maybe they've passed on, maybe not, but he's older. And for his time here, this is like one of his last big 
tests in that it's the last major story that's recorded in Daniel. The rest of Daniel has a different tone, and we'll look at that more next week. And with that, we acknowledge this one major principle here that I want to address, and it's this, that older, faithful servants of God are bulwarks for the kingdom of God. Older, faithful servants of God, they are bulwarks for God. If you don't know what that is, a bulwark, it is, the, it is something or someone, but mainly something, that is designed for defense or protection. It could be a fort, or often it's some sort of object or defense system set up outside of a fort. The term came from the 15th century, and often it's looked at, if you were to type this in, and it seems like, what does this look like? It's some sort of fortification outside of a gate or a city wall, and it is designed to be a barricade. Friends, older, faithful servants, you know, those of you who are retired or grandparents or great-grandparents or some, you know, if you would associate yourself with the older, I'll let you decide that for yourself. But if that is you, I remind you that you are powerful vessels in the hands of God. Retirees, they have seen God's promises time and time again. So when they stand for God, it carries generational understanding of what really matters. Unlike somebody who might be younger, your decisions are not with youthful haste or impassioned recklessness, but measured conviction. It's been built over the decades, and it informs you when it's essential not to budge, when the battle heats up. Think about Ezekiel 22:30. The Lord says this, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Well, unlike this situation in Ezekiel 22, God has risen up many who are older and willing to stand in the gaps. They have a godly resolve, and it's a good thing. It's not this old man, old lady, grouchy, staunch grandparent complaining about modern worship songs or the kids on their tickety-tockety apps. Like, not that stuff. What I'm talking about is a holy stubbornness that stands for truth and urges those around you to remember God's promises that are etched in the sacred word. And so they have this personal resolve, not on my watch, not while I'm alive. My kids, my grandkids, uh, the next generation, they might do whatever they want after I'm gone. But as long as I'm here, this is what we will do. Right, like as long as I'm here in my family, this is how we will worship on Sunday. As long as I'm here in this community, this is what I will stand for on God's promises and on his, on his word. I'm thankful to be in a church family in which retirees understand the value of being obedient and faithful to God, even in the face of something that might be unfair or something that might have devastating consequences. Your conviction, it encourages me and it challenges me to run the race. I would argue that a younger generation, mine, myself personally, and then those around me, just kind of in a general stereotype, there is a pressure to cave to theological liberalism and cultural demands. Those things loom over our head every single day. 
The whispers of cynicism and unhealthy doubt are in our ears every day. The enemy makes himself very clear by either attacking us or by enticing us. Our friends and our loved ones, those around us who once claimed Christ as their greatest joy and deepest love, they have abandoned their faith faster than we can count. And for some of us, it has left us standing alone. or unsure and asking questions like is a life committed to Christ worth it? There are endless influences to draw us from the heart of Christ. And so your example and your steadfastness consistently gives a model similar to Daniel in this story of what it looks like to be devoted to God fully. Being somebody who's, a, who's had every single excuse in the book to walk away, to throw in the towel. I would like to think that our, oh, let's just say like, I don't know, my like age group generation would be steadfast in the Lord, even if everyone who's older than us just like walks away. But the reality is it would be even more challenging to walk faithfully if those of you, if every single, you know, retiree in our own church family said, I'm done, I'm walking away. We're like, well, I'm, I'm going to stand on God's word. But this gets a lot more difficult to be sure of that. So in the words that I read a moment ago out of John 16, 1, where Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. I want to encourage, exhort, and thank those of you who are that old school cool where you are able to press on and you have not abandoned your faith. Continue so. It gives us an example similar to Daniel and his steadfastness as this old man being tossed in the lion's den. All right, now let's read the, the end of the story here. What happens with Daniel? Does he get eaten? Perhaps. Verse 19. Then at daybreak, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. This king really liked Daniel. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Well, then the king was exceedingly glad. He commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Some of us need to reread that every morning this week. Verse 23. When it continues, then the king commanded, <clears throat> and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought, and they were cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, right? Good job, guys. Way to get your whole family killed in this moment. Again, there's another principle, mini sermon on just consequences of sin and, uh, and what that looks like. What well, continues, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Well, verse 25 continues this great uh, praise. 
So then King Darius, he wrote to all the peoples and the nations and the languages that dwell in all the earth. And I'm going to pause here real quick before we read this. Remember, he, he is the, the king, the, the empire, the global empire of the day, right? So we, you know, today we have different countries that are all divided up. In this case, this is the bulk of the known world. He is, he is the king. He calls the shots for the globe with, you know, within like what was known at the time and how they traveled and transported and did uh, commerce and everything like that. So he says, he gets his, and he gets his past to everyone that he can. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, what a wonderful story we have for us to read through, to be challenged by, to be encouraged you know, Daniel, in this specific moment here, he functions even as a picture of Jesus Christ, someone who was thrown to their death, yet risen at dawn. Likewise, Jesus, he was crucified on the cross, and Scripture tells us on the third day, he raised. Now, unlike Daniel, who was not killed, Jesus was killed on the cross, and then God breathed life into him and resurrected him on the third day. Luke 24, it depicts it this way, where the angel says to the women who are seeking Jesus, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And because Jesus resurrected, we can have eternal life when we believe with our whole heart in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. The, if you are working through the story with your children later today or this week or whenever they want to talk about Daniel and the lion's den, it's such a famous kid's story, which is ironic because right, like lions are killing people and stuff. But nonetheless, that part aside, it is such a wonderful picture for us. I want to encourage you as you're talking through it with your kids Make sure you take that connection to Christ. Help them to see, you know what? Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and then he was raised. He, was, he, like, he, he, he wasn't killed in there, but he, uh, he had his life. And trying to draw that back to Jesus, who died, was in the tomb, and raised again is crucial. Always find those ways to connect back to Christ, especially when you're talking with your children. Well, friends, Daniel could have died in the lion's mouth. Clearly, they were hungry, so it's not like a matter of, well, maybe somebody tossed him a steak beforehand. It's not how that worked. He gave up his security and his control of his life in order to be completely obedient. So let me circle back around with the question I started with. What have you given up to be completely obedient to God? What have you given up to be completely obedient to God? And I use that phrase, completely obedient, with intentionality. Because many of us can walk around with partial obedience, and we call it a win. Like, well, I did half of what he asked, and so that's good. It's like, you know what? Partial obedience is still disobedience. So what have you given up in complete obedience to God? As I think about our church families, I look around this room, I am so encouraged with the stories of how God has challenged you and how you have walked in faithfulness in those moments. It's now going on about eight years, over eight years, that I've 
pastored in green. And I've known some of you for that whole time and some of you uh, for, you know, eight days. But that whole, everyone in between, I love hearing what God is doing and how you are responding. And I encourage you, continue on. Do not give up in those matters. I've heard your story. Some of you have stunted your career opportunities in order to follow God completely. Some of you have broken up with a significant other because the relationship wasn't about God. It wasn't about magnifying his name. It wasn't about true Christian love. Instead, it was about some other wrong motive. Some of you have moved away because God called you to. Some of you have moved or, or not moved away because God called you to stay Several of us have sacrificed certain things. It could be financial savings. It could be vacation plans to invest our time and our resources and our money in a way that is kingdom-minded from anything with mission trips to regular tithing to the church to um, a life of generosity. I love to be in a church that strives to live in obedience, even in the face of sacrifice or surrender or persecution. And so I urge you to continue on in that obedience day by day. It is worth it, and God will give you the power and the strength to do so. So do not give up. Do not stray from the path. When you are faced with a moment that challenges you to cave in, it could be later today or in six months from now, remember Daniel's story. Reread it. It didn't even take that long for us to read right now. Remember the moment Remember that God stands with us in the face of persecution and trials, and he has the power to shut the mouths of lions. So, Maddie, as you and the team come up here to lead us in worship, I'm going to read for us out of uh, Psalm 91. And it's a wonderful passage that describes, uh, you'll notice some similarities here. And as I read this, I want you to be reflecting on that question. What have I given up to be completely obedient to God? Uh, maybe you need to find yourself modifying that question to say, what is God prompting me to surrender, to be completely obedient to him? In those moments, I'm trying to think of exceptions. I can't really think of exceptions. It is always excruciating to kill the flesh and be obedient to the spirit of God at work within you. But the reward and the treasure and the joy and the outcomes are always worth it. Consistently, you will share stories with me, and I can tell you other stories where it's worth it. So listen to these words here. Use this as a chance to well, just lead you in reflecting on what it looks like to surrender all, give all, to be in complete obedience to, to God. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he, do, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. love this next one. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. It, but it will not come near you. You will 
look, uh, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the dwelling, or you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent will trample, no, you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. This is like a quote from the Lord. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And last verse, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Oh, that's a great way to conclude.